0: Hello, Chris here from Old Dirty Brastards. If you're a big fan of this podcast, you can support it through the ACAST support feature. You can give as little or as much as you like and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the description to support now. Thank you.
1: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.
0: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off
1: your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: Hello and welcome to ODBFM, our podcast. It's been a while. But here we are back in 2021 after finishing off the last of our podcasts back in 2020, finishing talking about the singles that we'd made uh, throughout lockdown. But we are back. We have a new series of podcasts to... Uh, send to you guys and this first one is all about a Britpop show that we are putting together and performing in Manchester on the 23rd of September. With us as usual uh, producing the whole shebang is Mr Seb
2: Philpot. Hi Seb. Hi. How are you? Yeah great thanks. Yeah. Glad to be back doing some podcasts for the yeah, no, old dirty bastards. It's great yeah. How's How's life been treating you? All good? Wow it's been good yeah like you know it's I feel I feel good. Like we're back gigging, aren't we? It's been it's been kind of mad. Yeah, it's been busy. It's been um, very busy, but it's nice. I feel I feel like uh, feel like my old self again. It's great. Uh, it's good. And here we are, live and in person as well, aren't we? We are
0: sat in Seb's second living room got two living rooms basically <laughs> or should we call this the dining room do you dine in here well, i
2: call it the 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 east wing the east wing
0: <laughs> which is based in the north of his house um <laughs> but yeah it is actually we're in your lovely house. new house it yeah. looks fantastic
2: thank you been doing lots of decorating this year but, um, yeah bit, uh, it's um a bit of time on your hands bit, i had a bit of time on my hands <laughs> but um, back to it now uh, but this is the first time we've done this in person. Yeah, the podcast we were doing it on Zoom, weren't we? Which is which is fine. It's nice. It's hard to produce a podcast when there's six different people on Zoom, and some of them have got dogs, some uh, <laughs> some have got squeaky chairs. Yeah, some don't know
0: how to work a microphone and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, no, it's been it's nice to be live and in person, which is great. Yeah. It makes it so much easier, um, especially with all your, your lovely fancy microphones that are used. Sometimes for three in the bar podcast, go check that one out. It's a oh, good yeah. one, it's a good one. Please do, yeah. And then, obviously, also we have Richard
3: Turner. Hello, Richard Turner. How are you? Hello, Christopher. I'm good. Yes, yeah, lovely to be here, especially in person. Yeah, just cuts out the technical issues, doesn't it? It does, and the it screaming does. children in the background and things like that. Yeah, and we're in this lovely pink room, which has got a lovely vibe about it. It does, nice yeah. pink vibe. Yeah. And there's pianos, and it's hard to
2: pianos. find the right pink for a, a wall, I'll tell you that. <laughs> We went through probably 20 different shades.
3: We've got a kind of pink in one of our rooms, yeah. Yeah, we found it, though. I'm I'm pleased with it.
2: I can't remember the name of it, but it was from Johnston's Paint. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Seb needs to finish the
0: rest of his house. Hang on, we've got a possible possible sponsor (laughs) there. If anyone from Johnston is listening, feel free to send your paint to Seb. (laughs) Don't send swatches. He wants all the paint. So yeah, send the big tubs, send all the big tins. Um, But yeah, so we're here. Yeah. So we were very fortunate coming towards the end of lockdown that we managed to secure an Arts Council grant. So thank you, Arts Council, for making all of this possible. And so with that, we have been arranging and recording and rehearsing some new shows. We've put together some shows with different themes. And the first of those to be unleashed on the public is our Britpop show which as I said we'll be doing it up in Manchester um, at the time of recording is next week and so uh, to tie it all in an idea we had was to talk to a very good friend of ours who gave us a big break at the start of our little brasterty career a guy called Sean Rowley and he runs the night guilty pleasures and yeah he's got quite a nice link to the Britpop past, which we talk about in the interview that we do with him, which is coming up
3: after this introduction. Well, it was a pleasure to talk to Sean, and you may or may not know it, but you've definitely seen him on the front cover of a very influential, very important Britpop cover. So, uh, well, listen to the interview and you'll find out which one it is.
0: Mm. Yeah, and he's quite... These days, I guess, he's quite well known with pop, isn't he? And sort of set us on a little trajectory when we worked with him at Coco, sort of arranging lots of pop tunes and things like that. Um, but now we've sort of come full circle and doing our Britpop uh, show. Turns out Sean's very entrenched in the whole, the whole Britpop scene. Again, as you will find out in the interview. Um, and he makes for a very good first guest on our podcast.
2: Up until now, we've spent time with Sean, but we hadn't actually heard these stories. And it was really interesting. He was right at the heart of it. Yeah. He was he was mingling with with all of them. Yeah, all yeah, the big yeah, names. Yeah.
0: He's done some quite interesting, quite
3: interesting things, hasn't he? I was I was on the edge of my seat the whole time.
2: Yeah, so. you're a massive
3: nineties fan, aren't you? <laughs> sad, sad to say, yes. If it's nineties and it's guitar, Chris <laughs> Smith is in. That's it.
0: I'm I'm there. I'm fanboying him all the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as you said, like we spend so much time with him, and I've never never had the opportunity to like. I mean, he's, he's a very modest guy, so we've never had the chance to sort of pick his bones about it all but um yeah it's just fascinating the people that he's met the people he's 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 got we can call his friends i guess it's insane yeah so he is our first ever guest on odb fm so without wasting any more time here is our interview with sean roley <laughs> Hi, Sean, Hello, you man. are our first ever guest oh, on wow. this podcast. Well, um, what an
4: honour. Thank you
0: very much. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've only done 10 episodes, but you know, let's <laughs> not to have that spoil it. But yeah, you've played quite a big part in our um, little brastedy career. Yeah. Um, and just to give you a little light on it, yeah, we sort of, but during lockdown, we started releasing a load of singles and with each single we decided, because we had a bit of time on our hands, that we would make a podcast to go with each one. And so we managed to do like 10 singles and then we chucked that all into an album. So that, that bit's now done and now we're starting this like new chapter. And so we've got a show that we've started Um, that we've made um, which is all about Britpop well it's not all about Britpop it is all Britpop basically and obviously we know you know from knowing you you have quite good ties to the Britpop era (laughs) and stuff so we sort of thought it'd be cool to get you on and sort of pick your brains what
4: you're politely saying is you're an old git who remembers (laughs) the 90s I hope you do yeah I hope
0: you remember some of it and uh, I'm just going to pop something on the table down here Hey. This, hey. For the listeners at home, I'm just popping a, <laughs> uh, a copy of What's the Story, Morning Glory on the table in front of Sean. Because Sean, what is your, what is your tie to this
4: album? Okay, so uh, I've just been handed a 12-inch vinyl copy of the Oasis album, What's the Story, Morning Glory. First thing I'm going to point out is it's not an original. Oh right, you, oh, it's not. It's not quite, you've got a, quite a bomb standard run of the mill reissue here. <laughs> <laughs> if I was if I was sitting here with an original copy of What's the Story of Morning Glory, I would be saying thank you, goodbye, and I'll be at the door <laughs> to sell it straight away. Because Did you know that these? were well, the original versions they sort of if they're in really good nick, they can go up to about two hundred now because at the time rather brilliantly no one was buying vinyl so everyone everyone bought a copy of this of said album on Mm. uh, on CD and uh, okay so the story is that the cover features two rather shady blurred (laughs) characters walking down Brewer Street in Soho Mm. As photographed, it was around about four in the morning, five in the morning, oh, something like that. Blimey. right? Because and that's that—that'll be why the streets are deserted. Anyhow, long story short is I'm the geezer walking towards the the camera. That's, yeah, that'll be me. Nice. Although you really, really, really can't tell <laughs> they blurred you because they, a lot, they blurred they? me quite a lot. i yeah, it's so, four in the morning so i Which is <laughs> and, and and also I'm featured on the back walking away from the camera and walking towards Oxford street. So yeah. they, that that'll be me. Um and yeah if if that's if that's my claim to fame well yeah, I'll have that. Yeah. So how did you so how did this
0: come to happen then? How come that's you on it? Okay. Were you a male model back in the 90s? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> um,
4: no, not definitely not a definition of a male model. No, I was basically uh round about, well, so this is nineteen ninety-five. I had to I I spent forty-five minutes on the train coming down here trying to Give you knowing that we were going to talk about this, trying to summon up some of the memories about this, and I, I, the, the, I can give you vague little glimpses because, as they say of the nineteen sixties, if you remember the nineteen nineties, you actually weren't. There. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so it's it is uh, all all a, all a bit of a blur, so to speak. Uh, and um, how it came about was that that I had a connection with the band. Um, I, Okay, so to rewind where that connection begins, um, I used to frequent a club. I was pretty much out and about th- throughout the, the 19, 1980s and 1990s. In fact, I've been out and about pretty much all my life, I would <laughs> just say. out and about all the time. All, of, all the time. <laughs> and, and when I say out and about, I mean I, I was a person who, who loved, just loved, lived for music yeah. and therefore... Clubs, gigs, anywhere where people would gather and listen to great music and dance to great music, that's where I wanted to be. And um, a club that I stumbled on in in 1994, August of 1994, I can recall, uh, was a club called the Heavenly Sunday Social. And it happened, obviously, on a Sunday evening in a pub that was at the top end of Great Portland Street. It was a little cellar pub. Uh, the connection was that a group, of mate, a group of mates had decided to put on this club night on a Sunday, mm. like we didn't have enough clubs going to go to <laughs> in the early nineties on Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays. So they decided to do a Sunday session. But to tell you the truth, this was this was totally landmark this this club, and I uh, the the resident DJs were known as the Dust Brothers at the time and soon to become the Chemical Brothers. Oh, wow. Um, Cool. The club just gathered sort of like this sort of cult status right from the off. And it became the sort of place where music-loving celebrities, that's just a bit of a crap phrase, just people like us, but just happened to be in bands would gather as well, mm. and the likes of Primal Scream, uh, Paul Weller, the Charlatans, and Noel Gallagher from Oasis used to come down there, and they, just just we just all used to stand at the bar and crap on about our favourite records and yeah. dance along to the Chemical Brothers, and so friendships were born in that club. I d- developed a connection with Noel um, and. Pretty soon afterwards, I was uh, I was asked to go and DJ at some of the gigs, some of the big gigs. There would be like three or four other DJs. I was one of the DJs. Uh, so the first big gig that I did was Main Road. Wow. As a DJ. <laughs> which was pretty wow. nice. <laughs> That's all right, isn't it? And then pretty soon we were doing Loch Loman and... Yeah. Uh, uh, followed by Nedworth. You DJed at Nedworth? I DJed at Network. Network. Not just me, there was other DJs as well, but I was one of the DJs there. Amazing. Um, And to cut this very long story short, um, the the reason why I'm on the front cover of that is basically about three days before the shoot, Noel gave me a call at home and said, look, do me a favour, I don't want to do this, um, so I've got to nominate someone who would stand in for me. So the, so the same thing happened for... I think both Liam and Noel decided they didn't want to be on the front cover right, of their album. Okay. So they both nominated people that were going to stand in for them. I was nominated for Noel. Uh, the other chap, Brian Cannon, who is the, actually the graphic designer who put together the whole sleeve and put together the majority of Oasis sleeves from that period, he's, he's the guy walking towards me. So... Brilliant. There you go. That's I amazing. ended up on there. Yeah. Lo and behold, and then the the, the brilliant bit about about it was it was it didn't really feel that big a deal, right? Yeah, you yeah. Know, you yeah. got to yeah. Although it was obviously gonna be mm. yeah a massive album, yeah, it was always going to be a big album because definitely maybe was a huge album. So yeah. this was going to be a big album. Little did we know that this album was about to become one of the biggest yeah. British albums of all time. You know? Yeah, amazing. So. I remember the fact being told to me that it's that, that my my face is was at the time the peak of, of everyone buying it on CD. My face was in one in three households That's in Britain. It, yeah, <laughs> 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 another claims to
3: fame. Awesome.
0: Well, there must be so many people around the, the world that have always gone. I wonder who those guys are. Just yeah. like, just glancing. I wonder who those guys are. Like, it's interesting yep. to work out. So essentially, you are Noel Gallagher's stunt double.
3: Yes, yeah, that'll really be good. him, that'll amazing. be me. Brian Cannon is <laughs> Liam Gallagher's That's,
4: that's it, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And how many,
4: how many shot? how long did that take to get that shot? As, as I mentioned before, we started shooting at about four in the morning. The brilliant thing was, it was so I think we gathered, oh, this is where the memory gets a little bit vague, bear with me. We, we, the idea was that we were going to gather in a, a hotel the night before to talk about, What we were about to do the next morning, Mm. but I don't seem to remember anyone going home from the hotel the night (laughs) before. And someone just going, "Well, we might as well just head down there now (laughs) and really get first light." So we arrived again as you know it's 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 a summer's morning. So Mm. as as dawn is breaking across Soho, it must be about four four thirty. Yeah, and that's when the, the the photographs started to be taken. And it was just literally a, a repeat performance of walk down the street, walk back, walk down the street, yeah. walk back. And until everyone felt like that they were happy that they they had enough there. Yeah,
0: amazing. That's great. And yeah. you were sober as a judge in that in that show. <laughs> Absolutely. <it? laughs> Hadn't touched a drop well enough. <your honor>. Wonderful. <laughs> so how did you and when sort of did you get into djing were you a musician have you ever been musical at all or was it just something that you sort I, of fell into no uh,
4: it's it's the classic sort of story of so many dj's and how they how they they, they get into it it's it's basically you're the guy with the records so i mm. you know i'm i've since the age of 13 been buying vinyl you know, that's, yeah that's that's my passion so through the i suppose the that that even in like the 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 late eighties, I would be. I was brought up in like Kingston on Thames, yeah. and I would be the guy that would get a phone call going. Can you come and DJ down at this party that mm. we've got booked? So it was like it was just just by nature of having the records that I I was asked to, to get to, to to do to do gigs. But having said that, there was definitely no. I kind. It's so brilliantly. Sort of blurred in the way of there was no sort of master plan. It was just like this sort of set of very, very happy coincidences yeah. that sort of knocked me into a position whereby I was able to go, well, I'll go, I could do that if yeah. you want. But prior to going out and doing those huge gigs, uh, as mentioned before with Oasis, there was always, um, there was always like, extended parties that I would end up bringing records to and, yeah. go, and, and doing an hour or so. Yeah. Um, but really, I'm going to say, to be fair, even when I was doing the Oasis gigs, I wasn't really a DJ. I was just a bloke who had records. Yeah. You know, it, was, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't until the wonderful world of Guilty Pleasures started mm. to really take off that it became something that I did to earn money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So what oh. were you doing at the... Sorry, to, sorry Rich,
0: I have you know, right. a question, but what were you doing at the time? That, did you have a job or were you just uh, footloose and fancy-free and enjoying your time? Yeah.
4: So, oh, God. You don't necessarily have to
3: answer that. Yeah. No, no, the, hang on. <laughs> you, the, you do not just, have to answer that, Sean. Just
4: <laughs> let me try and cut... i could There's, the there's like a timeline that's sort of <laughs> be coming together in my head and I'm just trying to think. What was I doing? I, see, the weird one was... Well, not the weird one. Oh, it was my transition to the point of becoming a DJ, he said, with quotation marks, <laughs> not quite sure if that was the, that was where I felt I was. But the transition was quite a sort of weird, bumpy road that actually came together because of that club, the, the Heavenly Sunday Social. Because prior to that, I'd worked in the music industry, I'd worked right. with bands. Uh sorry, I I I'd, I'd worked on major record labels as like a promotions man, like mm. a plugger. Yeah. Then I took a tr- jump from that and started working in TV production as a music researcher. So, yeah, yeah. I worked on the Jonathan Ross show. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I booked the bands. It was yeah. my job to book the bands. Oh, great. Yeah. So I was booking the bands on that and then and then I ended up on uh a TV show called The Big Breakfast. Yeah,
3: no, yeah, we all know it.
4: So I was like, I was the music researcher on The Big Breakfast. Yeah. And then this is the moment where everything sort of fell into place. Then I went to the Heavenly Sunday Social <laughs> and I went and I started meeting these people, as I mentioned before, these, these characters that were to become f- friends for life. Mm. Um, and I used to look at them and I used to think, they're doing a job that they absolutely adore. So they were running like independent record labels, mm. like Heavenly Records. Um, you know, they were connected with, and everything was about music. It was the be all and end all. It was like the the obsession. Yeah. And I, and whilst obviously I'd had that experience, it was always I felt like I was slightly working for a, like a bigger corporation. That you know I had to fit into the guidelines of what other people wanted. Yeah. So I'd never really worked for myself. And all of a sudden, you guys will totally understand the joys of, of being able to, the the, the, the highs and lows of being able to work for oneself, mm. because the high is you get to do the thing you love. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was where I really had this connection was like, wow, these people are doing the thing they love. So, <laughs> so my thing was, perhaps I could become a DJ. So I sort of transitioned out of... T- I went from basically having the, a really g- good professional job that yeah. like, your mum and dad would go, oh, he's doing really well. <laughs> yeah, he's, in t- he's making TV shows. Yeah. And like I went from that to going, oh, sod that. I yeah. just want to have fun yeah. and do the thing I love. <laughs> uh, and pretty soon, it, which is quite interesting because the transition was financially the worst thing i could ever have done but at the time i didn't have any responsibility apart from myself so yeah. i could take that plunge great amazing and look at me now here you are now <laughs> so well, so, yeah.
3: so is that like the birth of guilty pleasures then or was that oh. kind of come later because obviously you've taken the yeah. decision to be work for yourself and then
4: well okay so the the, the transition from yeah the, the, the everything it now falls into line and you could what one might look at the, this set of coincidences and go Wow, he really had that planned out. I can promise you there was absolutely no plan in this at all. It just everything sort of fell into place. <clears throat> but the connection was, all it went back to my connection with Oasis. So the, there was a born out of the, again, not, not just the connection with Oasis, but the connection with the Heavenly Sunday Social, born out of the, he, the Sunday Social, Sunday social used to end on a Sunday night, obviously, uh, around about 11 o'clock. Did we go? Did everyone pack up and go home to bed? <laughs> no. Did they? Hell. <laughs> uh, it was always like, right, where are we going next? Let's go around someone's house. Let's go around someone's house. And you'd go around someone's house, and the best part of the night was sitting around playing records that someone, that and you know, it, it happened upon it that it's, it wasn't you know, it was the connections were there. Uh, mm. So whether it was a DJ or a musician or, or someone else, you went back to their house and, you, and the party continued. Mm. And I, one brilliant morning after, after having had another bender of a weekend, went, there's an idea in this and I can't quite work out what it was. And that's when I sat down and I decided to hatch the, the concept that was called All Back to Mine right okay so the all back to mind concept was why don't we make a radio show of what we're doing round at someone's house Mm. after the party and in order to do that and obviously pitch it to a radio station you sort of got to get celebrities on board so (laughs) the first person who i was obviously turned to was Noel gallagher and i said Noel, i've got this idea would you be up for doing it if if we could get get it off the ground? And he went, yeah, yeah, of course I will. So I went to a production company with the idea, had obviously Noel's name attached to it. At the time, they were just like absolutely stellar, in, mm. you know, the biggest thing in the country. Yeah. And Radio 1 went, yeah, we'll do that. And I got an in to put together the show. At first, I didn't even think of being the presenter on the show. Everyone went, No, you do it, you'll be good at it. And so I was sort of slightly led by the hand to become a presenter on the radio, on Radio One, mm. with my first show being this guest being Noel Gallagher. And it went out on Christmas Day, 1990. Oh, as, as if it can get any better, it'll happen on Christmas <laughs> Day as
3: well. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, it?
4: Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, Wow, this is it. And then from there on in, I just had this run of shows, one-off shows that I did on Radio One. So I did the Chemical Brothers, I did Paul Weller, uh, I did James Dean Bradfield, uh, uh, I did Fat Boy Slim. So I, so it was like the, the, all the huge names that were knocking around mm. at, at that period of time, uh, and it just, it just, boom, it was yeah. off and running. Then Channel Four came along and said, "Would you like to do this as a TV show?" So I got a pitch at doing it, and I did two seasons for them. Um, in that time, I got approached by BBC Radio London to do a show, yeah. and I was like, "Great! Well, this is literally now a dream come true." Yeah, because this is now me doing the thing that I want, always wanted to do, which is to host a radio show. Yeah. And not not be confided by any sort of playlists like a specialist radio show just play what you want and i was literally off and running and then one day i got pulled in by the head of the station of bbc radio london and he sat me down and he said we really like what you're doing it's great but i just want you to play a little bit more familiar music music that people might no, because I was sort of going out on a bit of a limb, not massively, um, and um, and I went walked out. Then I felt a little. I felt quite disheartened. I thought, oh, this is not what I want. Mm. I'm now being told what I what I've got to play, and I don't like. That's not what I wanted to do. This, you know, and my mind went back to the inspirational characters that I'd met down the Heavenly Sunday Social doing the thing that they wanted and ploughing through, you know, and if if something came up and they thought, I don't actually, you know, that doesn't fit with what I want to do, they would drop it. And I thought, oh, is this the end of what I wanted to do? And then I got home and I thought, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. When I was a kid and I was buying records for the first time back in the sort of really in the late 70s and early 80s, you know, I'd for for every sort of cool contemporary band that was knocking around, I'd really like sort of quite cheesy pop records as well. And I thought, yeah, there's those sort of records. Perhaps if I could spin a few of those in there. And because I was slightly self-conscious of all of a sudden I've got to play a, a familiar record on the radio show where my, all my listeners would be sort of tuned into me playing quite obscure stuff. I sort of thought, I've got to come up with a tag. And so I thought, I know what this... And I'd heard the phrase guilty pleasures being mm. used and I just thought, I'll use that. That's okay. what I use. So I, so it was slightly self-conscious that I was playing these records. And, and I, as I played it on air, I went, oh, and here's a track you might call a guilty pleasure record and it's, uh, I don't know, I think perhaps it was an ELO song or something like that. Uh And all of a sudden the phone lines in the studio just lit up and it was brilliant because doing live radio, you really know what's working and what's not. Yeah. And I thought, oh, they are literally ringing up and complaining, saying, what are you doing playing this shit? <laughs> <laughs> but it was the exact opposite. It was people ringing up going, God, yeah, I was just the same when I was a kid. I really loved. And all of a sudden, and it literally was like a light bulb going off in my mm. head going, oh, hang on a minute, there's something in this. And over the course of the next few weeks, it became a regular strand within the show, so people would listen in, to the point where we went, oh, let's do a whole show of it. And yeah. so we had this whole show like on a Friday night on Radio London where people were just requesting their Guilty Pleasures tunes. And I was like, wow, this is really going. And then the, snow, the snowball effect was Sony Records came to me and said, let's do a compilation, mm-hmm. did the compilation, through a launch party, launch party was just off the scale, like everyone was there and there was a brilliant moment where I looked on the dance floor and Vanessa Feltz was dancing with the Strokes. <laughs> and I went, this is, something is happening here. And, we, and, and then it really took, took speed and it became a live experience, a club experience. And then, lo and behold, we were at Coco. Coco had approached me and said, let's do it there. And then, lo and behold, I heard about you guys (laughs) and I heard what you were capable of because my whole thing with Guilty Pleasures, which is exactly where the connection with Old Dirty Brasters comes in, is it is mainstream, Mm. but you've got to put a twist on it. Yeah. Because if you just do it as mainstream, so if you were just a covers band, like... Yeah. Guitar, bass, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. You'd be like every other single wedding band yeah. that exists. But because you are a 10 piece brass band, you just got, but you're playing the same songs as that wedding band. You just turned everything on its head. Yeah. And that to me was always, always the key to the success of Guilty Pleasures. Yeah. Oh. That was a very long answer. No, it's I, <laughs> I think it's also
3: just good to give a little shout out to why we know Sean there. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. is Yeah, yeah. Caroline Bichel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. yes. so that's Caroline the, was real, doing my press. That's kind of the real connection, yeah. Yeah, so she's a good friend of yours, isn't she? Yeah, you? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, she's actually... so
4: Caroline was, 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 was doing Guilty Pleasures, she was the Guilty Pleasures PR. And I'm, I, did I say to her, did I ask her, do you know of any good bands? Or did she say to me, my mates have got this really good band. And I, I think she just literally sent me a link and I went, oh, no, that's... In, that's that's exactly up my strata. That's yeah. That works.
3: Yeah, she came along to our, f- I think it was fifth gig yeah. in, um, is it the Queen's Head? Oh, that's number two. There's, sorry, number Queen, two. Yeah. Is yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And yeah. is it Queen's Head? Is yeah, the old I Queen's Head. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she was like, oh, yeah, this is great, blah, blah. And then <laughs> I think it was chatting to her and she said, oh, yeah, I was going speak to speak to Sean, Sean Rowley. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. and then it was, and then like, and then, we, and then there's a gig on the stage of Coco. Yeah, like, wow, this is working out, isn't yeah. it? But <laughs> that was, but that was fun, it. Isn't? That
4: was a great thing. I mean, what an amazing sort of showcase it was to be able to put bands like yourself on at Coco. So, mm. you know, you've already got an audience. You've got, yeah. like, I mean, on a good night, you've got over 1500 people in yeah, in that room and amazing. you know and they went do you remember they went absolutely ballistic yeah like, it's crazy i mean
0: you know because like that whole coco experience for us very much shaped the next like three or four years yeah. at least for us because we you know like i said like i think coco was like gig number six for us because we sort of we weren't really sure still where we were going. We'd sort of, you know, we'd done our debut gig at the Dogstone in Brixton. And then we did that next gig at the Queen's Head, which got, when we when we were there, like, we got pushed back further and further. We had these, like, this whole set planned. And then they're like, yeah, do you want to jump on and do, like, 20 minutes? And we're like, oh, all right. <laughs> and that was a time we didn't have the tweed or anything. We were just all quite scruffy. And, um, yeah, we were still trying to work out if we were ever going to, like, write our own material, like, do any originals or what sort of covers we wanted to do. And then, yeah, Rich spoke to Kaz and she said, oh, yeah, do you want to you know, go talk to Sean and uh, maybe we'll get you on at this guilty pleasures at Coco. i like, Coco? Oh, yeah. Camden Palace? Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, and then you sort of said, oh, yeah, if you can make your sets... We didn't do very long. Like, you didn't want it to play for very long. You was just like, if you could do these sets uh, uh, and make it quite poppy. And we were like, oh, OK, well, we've got these poppy ones. And then... <laughs> We sort of saw how that went down yeah. and, you know, we came off absolutely buzzing. We are like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And, like, you know, for us, I'd like, gone from, like, naught to 60. We were like, yeah. that's insane. All those people really enjoyed it. I hope it can always be like that. And then, yeah, we just sort of set us on this little path of just, like, thinking about little pop tunes that we could arrange and stuff like that, didn't it? I didn't yeah. think we really thought about much else. Just well,
4: like, just like out of interest, what other, other bands have you come across on the circuit that do that thing of mainstream with a twist? Elvana. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh the yeah. Yeah. That's the one. That's good. Yeah. Isn't Elvis yeah. and the and Elvis stuff. and Melvis yeah. meets Nirvana. That's yeah. really good. That one. They're,
0: they're pretty fantastic, aren't they? My, my, the other one. There's, more, the, there's
4: there? one I that I really loved, and you, it was just the the joke is all in the name, but they're really, really, really good. Uh, is the all female uh, uh, Duran Duran tribute called Joanne Joanne? <laughs> <laughs> that actually features two yeah. girls called Joanne. Oh wow. Nice. <laughs> oh, <great. laughs> yeah. oh, that's brilliant. just genius, that's isn't
0: it? Yeah, that's really. And they're cool. really good. Yeah, oh that's amazing. We've got uh, uh one of the ladies that comes and plays percussion for his Kaylee, she drums for um an all female Bruce Springsteen
4: called the She Street Band. There you go. Oh. Yeah, oh, I know really them well. Brilliant. Fuck them as well. Yeah. They're <laughs> great. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, they're, they're, really brilliant. Good. Yeah. they're brilliant. Brilliant because they do that thing, so they play you know, it's Bruce Springsteen's songs, like mm-hmm. the ultimate alpha male, yeah. as performed by women. Yeah. It's just, like, brilliant. It turns every song on its head.
0: Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. Nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's... Like as i say that launched us we were like once right. you've had that taste of playing to a packed out cocoa, even though you know you could get your head around is they're not there for us but <laughs> that was a lot of fun and you know we do end up doing a lot of gigs where there's an audience just there for us and it's great you know, yeah. it's good fun and they're all they're all up for it and then you sort of we went on our progression and we did a lot of pop stuff and you very kindly took us that year to glastonbury as that's well that's right yeah wow and,
4: yeah love do it. you remember the glastonbury that we did together where you, so, so the, the format for for the Glastonbury performances that I think we just repeat every year when it's obviously on mm. is. Is they, they it's we do the Thursday, don't we? Mm. So everyone is because the first one we did though, the first one we did was a Friday
0: night, wasn't it? It's the first time we came. I think ah. the first year we did with you was a Friday, and it was the Arctic Monkeys were on the main stage, and we could all hear and We were doing a sound check, and we're like, oh, "That sounds good, doesn't it?" <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but there was no obviously everyone was down at that stage, and they sort of cordoned it off because we were getting us ready, and we were like, "Oh, no one's going to turn up, are they? It's just not going to happen." And then Arctic Monkeys finished. And then just as we were walking out on stage, the barriers up. came up. Everyone came in yeah, and that yeah, was amazing. Yeah. But then I think we had a chat afterwards and um, um, you sort of said, well, oh, what if we, we sort of discussed. We said, well, Thursday night could be quite cool
4: because there's yeah. nothing on. People nothing just want to do it. And yeah. then yeah. the next
0: year we went Thursday and it just was a bit bonkers, wasn't it? It
4: was mental, mm-hmm. yeah, because as as we've, we've just alluded to, everyone, every, you know, that brilliant thing where everyone arrives on Wednesday morning, that's it, they're in... And there's nothing really happening. Yeah. And then as Thursday starts to gather a little bit of momentum, there's the tent that is the uh Williams Green stage. And they're brilliant because Dave, who books it, he he's he manages to always pull off of, like a really big name, doesn't he? Like yeah. they have Wolf Alice a, cu- oh, crazy. Cu- yeah, a couple yeah, of years ago that ones. comes on and 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 does it's like a, almost like a secret gig, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And then, and, then, and then you guys hit the stage and we, I think we've, in the past I've always looked at it of like, because everyone comes in as, as, they hear, as they hear you, it's just like if they're not in there already, they want to be in there. And as you start to look out, you realise that the, the tent is full and with, I think we're talking about 3000 in the tent, mm. the tent is full but there's a hell of a lot more people on the outside just trying to grab a little piece of whatever's going on in there. And then I think on the last one we did together, which now is, so we've missed two, Mm. so it's two and a half years ago or two and a bit years ago. Do you remember there was some guy broke his... Leg. Oh, Do you yeah. remember
2: that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a it was a friend of one of one of it was someone that was with ooh, our friends at the it? front. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, it was awful. Oh <laughs> no no yeah.
4: no. It was, it, so here here you go. this is going to come up to almost up to date now. So so you were on. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a transition whereby you finish. And in the past, I'd always done this thing where I've go, I've got to get on and play records right from the off mm. so that we keep the crowd in there. And I think we just I just sort of gave up on that because I just thought it's it's a bit scrappy and a bit messy because you're you're striking your gear off stage while we're trying to put the decks on stage. And, and it was like, oh, and so I, I sort of went, do you know what? Just let it run, and if they stay, they stay, and lo and behold they they stayed, of mm. course, and then yeah, so there's a transition of about ten to fifteen minutes. but I remember on that one, it was like the word went out, "Oh, there's an injury in the crowd, and it was someone who was down the front yeah. who I think, and they had to get the person over over the barricade at the front. And then, you know, Red Cross came and then health and safety shut it down oh, no. and they shut it down and I went, oh, shit. And it's like, we're now literally going to lose the momentum. The exact opposite happened. <laughs> In this space of like waiting for the Red Cross to turn up and get this guy out and everything, just the the, the anticipation for what was going to happen next was just building and building and building. And I realised that it was like, this is this is actually working in our favour because <laughs> when we actually hit the stage with the first track, they're just going to go... And they literally went totally crackers. But the punchline on the story is, the guy who broke his ankle at Glastonbury went to a wedding where you were performing and broke his ankle again. He then reappeared at Latitude this year, collared me and went, mate, mate, and told me that whole story. And I just looked at him and went, you really do not need to see that band again. <laughs> yeah, you've
0: done your time. Oh my God. As he slipped off the stage and broke his other ankle. Who
4: was
2: he? I can't, I've definitely heard that story about him breaking his leg again. Yeah. I can't yeah, remember yeah, who yeah, it was. Perhaps scary. he's
4: listening to this podcast now. I hope so. And amazing. perhaps he will get in contact get in with touch. us. Absolutely. <laughs> <And> stay <laughs> well, away. Just from put the boat. in the, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, put yeah, in we'll the subject line ankle
2: broken
3: guy. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully he's not driving as he listens to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, oh God. my ankle. God, I'd
0: totally forgotten about that. Yeah. Oh my, oh, poor hey, guy, yeah. that poor guy. <laughs> oh. But that was a good one. That was. They just keep getting better and better. Those customary yeah. ones. Right? Yeah. But that last set was on sort of part of a trajectory where we were starting to sort of do more guitar-y based um, arrangements. Which you know, if people would just start finding people really like that as well. As long as you know, if it's on brass, I don't think they care too much. As long as it's just not a really dirgy song. And so yeah, we sort of started to do more of that, and that's where we've led coming out of lockdown into, like, doing our own Britpop show after doing sort of other album shows and things like that. And, you know, sort of brings a sort of full circle to you, like, you know, because we've always talked about your Britpop thing, but obviously it was the pop stuff that got us going. And then here you are on, mm. on the album front, mm. you know, it's just like, ah, oh, here's Sean and the Britpop side of things as well. Mm. So hopefully once we've sort of done our show up in Manchester. Yeah. When um, is that? that's next week isn't it next week
3: 23rd of September Mm.
0: Manchester Club Academy come on down people (laughs) we can uh, get promoted to pick it up and we can go on the road with Sean Rowley DJing who knows yeah (laughs) and now we know the story of how it all started (laughs) I was was on the edge of my seat the whole time Sean that's amazing Um, And I think, you know, we're we're a bit short for time and I could honestly talk to you all day long about this and maybe we could have you back in and do, because obviously you're now doing the Mighty Hoopla as well. Yeah. And if, you know, we're lucky enough to be on there next year, we can sort of maybe do a little Mighty Hoopla special with you. That would be great. Have you on and chat about all that stuff. Be up Um, for that. Yeah. But, yeah, thank you so much. My
4: pleasure. Thanks, Sean. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Well, there you go. So that was our interview with Sean Rowley. What an amazing character. That was fascinating. So
3: modest for a man that's done so much, really. Yeah, he's got so much to talk about, and we've never managed to unlock it all so that was you know
0: that was great great having him in um and if you would like to hear more from sean uh you can find him on bbc radio kent where he has a show called the joy of music or you could go to one of his nights uh just get down to guilty pleasures where he sort of d de- djs away djs all the nice pop tunes they are fantastic nights as well when people get dressed up and go and have a good old time um so yeah try that Um, Mighty
2: Hoopla as well
0: The Mighty Hoopla and uh, yeah maybe uh, so Sean is also yeah very much tied in with the festival that's becoming quite a success down in London isn't it they're going to open up for two days next year having gone from just being the one Um, it's a really lovely festival really poppy fun atmosphere we were gutted to miss out this year because it had to be moved to a date that we had a prior commitment but hopefully fingers crossed they'll have us back next year because we love playing there yeah so hopefully maybe we'll get him on and we can chat more about that because we didn't even scratch the surface with any of that. But I think that's where he's, he's moving. His, his destiny is taking him to those things these days, to a big festival called the Mighty Hoop Plus. That'd be great to have him back. And then, yeah, if anyone fancies coming to our show in Manchester, whether you live in the Manchester area or like us enough to travel up to Manchester, uh, we are playing at Club Academy Manchester on the 23rd of September Get your tickets online. You can get them through our website or via the ticket provider ticket line. And, yeah, come and see all the uh, all the Britpop arrangements
3: that we have done. Rich, anything you want to chuck in there? Well, I'm just going to say the show's called Disco 2021, a Britpop brass odyssey. <laughs> who, who doesn't want to see a show called that? I mean, who does so, not? Who does come not? Come on down. <laughs> Brass. Oh,
0: and we should say a quick thank you to the Arts Council who have uh, funded this podcast through the grant that we achieved. Um, so thanks to them. That's, well, really,
3: that's... we should say thank you to the taxpayers because, yes, thank you to the Arts Council for choosing us based <laughs> on application, but thank you, taxpayers. <laughs> and
2: thanks to Sean for coming all the way down to Catford, to yeah. my house, and for all those opportunities early on in our career and the great advice, as he talked about in oh the Oh, gosh. Yeah,
0: he's helped us no end. We wouldn't, I don't think we'd got as far as we would. It wasn't for Sean, no. so yeah. Um, thank yeah, thanks for spotting us so early on and really just helping us out. Yeah, maybe. he
3: knew he knew what we had before we did. Yeah, basically. Good time. Yeah. yeah,
0: he helped forge our path. Let's, we could have uh, been let's... some weird
3: originals band that no one likes. <laughs> let's just say thanks to Kaz as well. Kaz, yes, which is fair yeah, Thanks, Kaz. Yeah, you know, there's always a connection, and that's the connection with Sean, isn't it? So, yeah. thank you, Caroline Bechel. Yeah, wonderful. And thank you, you, the
0: listener, for listening to this podcast.
3: (laughs) Yeah, all the
2: way to the end. Thank you, guys. Uh, Please tell all your friends about it.
0: So if you like what you heard today from Sean, be sure to tune in again for more ODBFM, where we'll be doing different formats and different snippets and also talking about the different shows that we'll be doing from our Arts Council grant as well. So plenty of different things uh, to keep you Keep your interest peaked. So do join us again at ODBFM. Thank you very much.
4: ODBFM. Blimey, that was quite long.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.